You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the Legends of Runeterra. My name is Mark or the Lift outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and with me today is my catastrophically creative and eternally optimistic co-host, Gibbles and Bids. Gibby, how are you doing today, bro? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing in the middle of a nice, sunshiny Thursday? It, it actually is. How did you know it was so sunshiny here in PA? Just, it is actually guessed. super sunshiny. It is beautiful. It's like a beautiful day. Uh, I ended up with a bunch of meetings this afternoon. We were going to go to the zoo this afternoon, but we ended up deciding not to because I have, I have too many afternoon meetings. But uh, yeah, it's it's gorgeous. I wish that I actually got to see the sunshine. Is it is it beautiful in Tennessee as well? It has been beautiful in Tennessee. I'm far I'm far enough west in Tennessee and Memphis that it's uh, we missed all of the storms. So first of all, mm. uh, prayers out to all of our listeners. Um, if you've been uh, enduring some of the the either the middle or the aftermath of, of Hurricane Ian, uh, prayers and thoughts and prayers go out to all of you guys that that you guys are doing okay and and cleaning up everything and um, that the storm didn't hit you in affect you in a whole bunch of negative waves, but. Thankfully for me, I was far enough west that it was just sunshine sunshine the whole time. It was almost like I was looking out my proverbial glass window to the east, waving at everybody as the storm just like rolled by me. I didn't I didn't actually get hit by anything, which is which is nice. Yeah, that is good. We, I have a good friend and uh, one of the staff members at Lux who um, lives in Tampa and they were sort of preparing for the worst. But Tampa sort of uh, got out of the way of the hurricane, which was good. And he said it's just amazing to him because uh, it's so utterly devastated uh, a town just south of them um, that, you know, they're going down with a team of people to help out uh, doing sort of flood relief, hurricane relief. Um, and he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, we, we really all that we really heard about the hurricane. If you didn't live in Florida was, hey, there's a really bad hurricane. Oh, it missed Tampa, everybody. So it's fine. Uh, you didn't hear about the, you know, dozens of people that lost their lives and the power that's been out and like really a lot of the terrible things so if you are in the midst of that um and you're listening you know if you need help if there's anything that we can do for you don't hesitate to reach out uh to our family here at legends cast and at camp legend network um we're here for you and we're praying for you and and certainly if you need anything you know don't hesitate to to shout out and, and give us a message over in the discord server which is a quick plug for the discord server come and join Ooh, us on discord yeah, everybody, come over and join us on Discord. There's a link in the description of this episode, and we'd love to have you come and join us. Now, this episode, we're doing a short... Oh, Gibby was going to say something. I'm going to take it one add? step further and plug not only our Discord, but plug our Patreon as well. Uh, we have been uh, working on the back end to put out some new Patreon content uh, that uh, we hope that you guys will enjoy, Some not only some some content as it relates to our almost legends um, show that we do our, our tabletop RPG podcast, but also just some additional nerd based gaming based content with our, with your, your friendly co-hosts, Mark, Annie, Ian, and and Gibby that we hope that you guys will enjoy. We realize that we haven't been putting out as much for our Patreon as we, as we would like. And we, we plan to kick that up and we've, we've taken those steps to do so. So the first couple episodes of, of a long string 
in probably continual series of of new new content that is available on our Patreon is 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 coming out. So uh, if you'd like to support the show on Patreon, we would love to have you, even if it's a quarter, if even if it's a penny, whatever you can give to the show, uh, we really appreciate it, and we uh, we hope to see you to see your name pop up over there. And by not as often as we like, we mean literally and utterly nothing for months. Um, so the, the last Mulligan episode was was like, I don't know, almost nine months ago, something like yeah. that. Uh, it was a really long time ago. But we, there is a new episode coming out. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, Friday morning. This show might actually be coming out at the same exact time as the, the first piece of our Patreon comes out. And that is uh, that is the skill check episode one. Um, which is a conversation between Gibby and DBN about making better tabletop RPG characters, fuller RPG characters. Um, in November, uh, the skill check episode two is coming out. That's me and and DBN talking about how to run one shot games in TTRPGs. And then in addition to that, with every episode of Almost Legends, there is now also a new uh, episode of something called Downtime, Downtime. that's going to come out. Yep, where we're just talking and hanging out, uh, bantering back and forth and discussing the most recent episode of the show that we will literally get done recording, hit end, hit record, and then do Downtime. You'll hear our first thoughts uh, of of the game and, and where we're at on it. So that is all going to be going up on our Patreon. So very reliably, basically three pieces of audio content every month on our Patreon, uh, mostly around the TTRPG stuff. We are really, we are enjoying uh, card games and we'll talk a little bit about LOR uh, and there's other card games that we're enjoying as well. I know Gibby's been playing some, I've been playing some, DBN has been playing some. We're all talking about what is next for the next season of Legends Cast, what comes next for the show. And we're not 100% sure exactly what that is, but we do know that we love talking TTRPGs and we want to funnel more of our community into that and more of the content that we're making into the TTRPG podcast. So mm. if you haven't checked out Almost Legends yet, grab the episode in our Discord or search for Almost Legends wherever you listen to podcasts. Season one is fully out, so you can listen to all of season one. And if you're an LOR lover, you'll like this because it's set in the world of Arcane and Piltover and Zon. And so you can check out that season. There's a six-episode first season, sort of a mini-season, that uh, includes Gibby and DBN and two characters that they played with me as the Dungeon Master. So we'd love to have you check that out. Um, but what do you say? Are you ready to talk a little bit about <laughs> oh, a little bit about LOR, Gibby? <laughs> oh, I am so ready. I've got... We've got some some new content to talk about and, and major news that I think we got to preview a little bit last time uh, as it was uh, not fully released exactly what was going to be happening with things like the rotation. But we know a little bit more now, so I would like to uh, I'd like to have a conversation about it and give our thoughts to the listeners. Huh. Didn't see that coming. Okay, guys, we're just going to talk news today, and those two things are specifically a, a comment and announcement about an official rotation that's coming in 2023. Uh, we knew about it in the roadmap that we talked about on the last episode, but we have a few more details about what that rotation is going to look like um, and the new ways that you're going to be able to play Legends of Runeterra. We also have the announcements uh, for the release of the next set of cards that's going to be coming out. And man, it's like in a week and a half or something like that. It's, it's, it's so quick. It's so fast. And we have the first champion. Um, I do want to ask you this, Gibby. Did you end up purchasing the Corrupted Event Pass? I did not. And it wasn't strictly out of not care and of not wanting to, but having some uh, some family and uh, other close friends in town that we were hosting 
I there was a stretch uh, towards the end of the expansion's time where which you could continue to grind it out and buy it that I unfortunately didn't log into the game for a couple days as I was hosting and trying to be a good host and not be on uh, beyond the games too much. So I, I, I missed out on my chance to buy it. I was about two thirds of the way through it. Um, so there was, there would have been some content that I didn't get a chance to, or wouldn't have had uh, in my, in my collection if had I bought it, but uh, regrettably, because I think that Leona corrupted skin is so good. And I I'm kicking myself now because I wish I had it. It's so well, good. Maybe you shouldn't kick yourself because I'm kicking myself for the exact opposite reason. I did buy it and did not get through it. Um, I purchased it and I got to, I think it was 400, it was 510 that you needed to be able to get the Leona skin and the Diana skin was 590. I got to about 430 um, before I just couldn't keep grinding. Uh, I won a game basically every single day, like a ranked game every day to get a couple of tokens, thinking like I'll just be able to smash out these quests in the last couple of days. That didn't end up being the case. Uh, I got really hooked on Destiny 2 again in this last month. And so I hadn't been playing a lot of LOR. I've been logging on every day and winning a game every day, grinding up through plat. I'm almost in diamond right now, uh, just playing Katarina uh, Liasuo um, and just winning a game or two every day. But it just didn't end up being enough to actually unlock <laughs> to actually unlock. Wow. I'm having all kinds of like coughing <laughs> issues on this on this podcast. I didn't end up having enough to unlock the contents that I really wanted from the past. I got a couple yeah. of things. But the, the Leona skin, the Deanna skin, and the uh, and the prismatic uh, cane, which I didn't get to a chance to unlock, was really disappointing to me. I really felt like I wasted my money because although I got enough value out of the pass, there's no doubt I got more than $10 in value uh, according to what they charge in the store. Yeah. I did not actually get to the, any of the things that I bought the pass for, which was really disappointing. And I'll be honest, I feel like I honestly feel like the pass was too much. Um, not money. It was too many levels. Like, I I feel like if you spend 10 bucks on the pass and you start grinding it, you should almost guarantee be able to finish it, like, without having to play tons and tons and tons of time. I, I don't like the combination. It, they just don't give you either. They don't give you long enough or these new passes have way too many levels in them. Here's what I would like to see. I would like to see, and this would be a small change, and I think it would be a little bit of an incentive early to help with that. I mean, so I think you, I don't, I, I would have to see them side by side to know, right? But it felt like this pass was a little harder to get through. Maybe even, even in the quests, like there are times where I've, I've, I've been attempting to, to get to the top level of a pass to then buy it at the end. That's usually my, my kind of my mantra with it. And there have been times where just playing the game and being in it, you can pseudo accomplish a lot of the quests because they are a little bit more generic. Yeah. Versus like, oh, you have to summon five mysterious portals three times in a game, like doing quests like that. You have to have very specific decks built. I haven't felt like the challenges have been so specific previously where I, I specifically remember seeing several predominant members of our community in discord building decks specifically to get done challenges for this event pass and grind it out and just make it in the nick of time to be able to get the full awards of mm. the full rewards of, of the event pass. Something I'd like to see them possibly change and maybe to incentivize people like me who are waiting to the end to see how far I get to buy it. It would probably tip the scale for me is I think once you buy the pass, there should be a boost 
to the accomplishment that each challenge gives you. So instead of like, if you haven't bought the pass and you complete X challenge that gives you four tokens towards whatever uh, system it's going to be for the event pass to unlocking things. If you already have bought in the past, maybe it gives you six or maybe it gives you eight. Mm -hmm. So that way you have an easier time getting the return on the investment that you've already made buying the pass. I mean, because I think you're right at that point, you're still in the game. You're still playing a bunch. You're still trying to achieve those rewards, but you should pay the money for it. You should get that pass. You should get the, the rewards back for, for the event pass. So that's just my opinion, but I would love to see a small change like that. Give them a boost off. Once you've actually physically bought the pass, I think you'll see a lot more people purchase it early too. Yeah. No, I uh, I absolutely totally agree with you, and I yeah I I was pretty I was a little burnt by this one I'll be honest because it was like I felt like I played every day that the pass was up I played enough to win a game every day I spent I think two different days really grinding to try I was only playing against AI like I was just building decks to finish the quest to play against AI I was that intentional and the quests were genuinely difficult to finish without playing dozens of games, even with decks that were built to stall out the game against AI exclusively to finish something. And I was kind of like, man, you know, I just, I don't want to sit here until two in the morning the night before trying to finish the stinking pass. And uh, and I just ended up not doing it. I played other things. And so, yeah, I, I hope that maybe we see them handle that a little bit differently in the future. I don't expect that we will. The event passes seem to be popular. I would expect them to continue that way, but that's not really what we're talking about. What we wanted to talk about is uh, rotation, and so we've sort of got an announcement about rotation, and so the the big news about rotation is this. All cards are going to continue to be playable. They're not going to remove cards from the game, but they will be rotating some cards out of what will basically be their standard format, and they will be starting a new Basically, wild format if you played Hearthstone. Yep. I, didn't, I think it's an eternal format. Is that what they call it, po- eternal? I, I think that might be what it's called. I think that is what it's called in Pokemon, maybe. They have, like, you know, formats with, like, it's legacy in Magic or, you know, modern in Magic. But basically, they're going to take a grouping of cards, uh, specifically champions and likely cards that work with said champions, right? So one of the examples that they gave uh, was Irelia. Another one that they gave was Vladimir. And so I would assume that with those, some of their package would also be rotating with them. They said their goal is to keep the standard set of cards um, a basically a, a uniform size or very close to uniform size. So in other words, let's say there's 150 cards in the standard set of cards, which is which there's not. There's many more, but just hypothetically, there's 150 cards. If they introduce 30 new cards to the game, that likely means they're going to rotate, you know, anywhere between 25 to 35 or 40 cards from your standard into sort of the eternal or legacy or wild format where you can play all of your cards, just won't be able to play them in the normal one. And then along with that, so like keeping keeping that in mind, um, you will have a, a ranked ladder for both the standard sort of like the 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 preferred form of play. I hate to say preferred, but that's realistically kind of what it will end up becoming, right? Sort of like the main competitive format, and then you'll have another one that it will be in the eternal uh, or or you know extended format. And um, there'll be a ladder for both of them. But they have said that they're going to focus the majority of their time in balance updates and card changes, focused on that smaller standard set of cards. 
So give yeah. me give me some thoughts on this because it is a really interesting way to do card rotation. It isn't like saying, "Hey, we're going to take out you know." Ex- it, usually, you rotate out old expansions, like sets. In this case, yes, yeah, sets. In this case, they're saying, "No, we're going to take champions and specific cards out to shake up the meta." Well, I think one challenge that Legends of Runeterra has to be careful with is that in almost every, for example, Hearthstone, when they were rotating things out, I can't really speak to Magic because I've never been a Magic player, they're, and they're, I know that their card pool is huge, so I can't really speak to the way that they've handled things. But with Hearthstone, they released champions, I think almost in a pretty even manner Mm -hmm. when there were expansions coming out right so there was some representation in every um every class that way with it when when they rotated out an entire expansion it still kept the card pools equal within each class now we have not seen that happen with runeterra there have been expansions uh where they've where they've injected a bunch of cards into the game at one time and it hasn't always been focused on all of the regions sometimes it was very specific to Sharima, or it was specific to the expansion of Bandle, and maybe there was an accompanying Noxus champion that got um, it got revealed. And even now, there's combination champions that are within two different regions. So if you remove the, one of those champions, you hit both regions. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to go about balancing the cha- balancing the removal of champions mm-hmm. and making sure that there's still something viable to play because. I like that they broke down a little bit of the thought process in the news segment for, and they highlighted three champions. And you already mentioned a couple of them, what you said, Aurelia and you said, Vlad, the other yes. one being TF was the other one mm-hmm. that highlighted. And they gave you a little bit of thought as to why are we going to remove certain ones? Because I'm sure there's going to be not backlash, but there's going to be some, Oh, I wish I'm, I'm sad that that champion's leaving the game. Cause I really like the, the play style, the way it is. Um, but, just I like deck building with it. I like the, the cards that are that accompany it in that package. Like I know we've got a couple people, for example, like if they got rid of Senna, we would have some members of our community that would be upset that darkness is gone. I would be upset if personally if Yasuo left because I like Yasuo as a champion. Other people would be happy about that. So I think they're gonna have to balance that, but um I like that they gave specific reasons as to why they're going to remove things, whether it's limiting the design space going forward because it's too synergistic with the basic functions of the game. It yep. is so anti-functional to the way the game wants to play. So therefore it will never be reasonably good depending on no matter what they do. I mean, and I don't, I don't fault them for trying something and it not working and they're saying, Hey, we've instead of, instead of redoing the whole thing and rehashing some, an old character, let's just rotate it out. Let's get it out and let's, inject the new ideas that we thought were going to work and maybe how we would have altered that character and their package into a new champion that could enter the game and just keep the old one there just in case there is some sort of small space for it to play in a niche deck. Um, And then the third is just rotating things out that tend to get broken too often and just have two or too narrow in scope, maybe like the Aurelia where it's, Mm -hmm. it just limits the, the use of other champions because it'll net anytime you buff that other accompanying champion like Azir, Aurelia will always be the the super complement that fits it better than anything else possibly could. Yeah, yeah. So I I like their mindset as to why they're rotating it. Now the actual practicality and um, execution of them doing it, we'll see how that's going to work. But 
I think the major problem for them, the major heartache is going to be keeping balanced in the regions to not make any regions irrelevant. Uh, yeah, so here's my point is this, is that rotation for a card game is healthy. It is good. If this is your first card game, you might not feel that way. It might feel like, well, they're taking stuff away from me. I don't want my champions to be taken away from me. There will still be a location that you can play these champions, so they're not strictly being taken away from you. In many ways, this is healthier than nerfing them into the ground and keeping them inside of an eternal set that never changes because the only way to sort of remove something from play to ensure that you're opening up new space for design and you're opening up new space for champions is to literally gut a champion, right? Let, let's say, for example, they really did want to, uh, they wanted to bring something else in, but they, they really TF was, was hurting their design space because of his ability to propel combos, right? And so like, well, we really want to re release this new bilge water, but it's just not going to work uh, because TF. Well, what they could do is they could gut TF. They could make him a six mana one two uh, that uh, that has his ability, and then and then he wouldn't see play. Well, now you're going to really lose TF. So you're better off having TF and some accompanying cards rotated out of the current format and into an eternal format where you still can go and play them in their current state without them getting gutted in. It still opens up a lot of room for design inside of the standardized you know card space so in that way i think it's good i i've been around enough card games to know that card games that don't rotate die that's just the nature so i think that the decision to rotate cards is great i am really interested to see how they go about that without really ticking people off because when you rotate champions out in a game like this Unless you're rotating a bunch of champions out, they really don't have any bearing or matter at all. And then in that case, they're not seeing play anyway. So why are you even rotating them? You have to rotate impactful champions out of out of it and into another. And those impactful champions are inevitably going to be a lot of people's favorite champions. And I think that will upset some people to see, well, my favorite champion or my favorite deck is gone. And then I am I am interested to see how that it's really not so much the champion, right? Like, if you rotate Garen, for example, which I don't think they'll do because he's such an introductory champion. But let's just say, hypothetically, you rotate Garen. What do you rotate with him? All of the elites? Like, is that uh, what, you know, what are the cards that are in his package? I'm more interested, I'm less interested in what champions are going to get rotated out. I'm more interested in what cards that go with them they're going to rotate out. Spells. And how those Yes, yeah, spells and, and allies. Followers. Like, I, Followers. I am the same. I am yeah. really intrigued by that. And like, I how even, is that going to impact other decks outside of the deck that they're targeting? That and, like, are they going to get rid of iconic cards that almost get, that they've really never touched or they've touched very little that have seen its, like, presence in, in we'll say, at least half of the decks in whatever region it is? My best example of that is Mystic Shot. Like, yeah, what if uh -huh. they got rid of Mystic Shot for P and Z? They have other removal tools and ones that are still effective and powerful, but usually have some sort of either smaller or maybe not hard to achieve requirement. Like, oh, one of your traps has to have triggered this, this uh, round, and then you can do three damage to a follower or three damage to a unit with this two-cost spell. Like, arguably, you could say, depending on if you're playing traps, that could be better than Mystic Shot, with the exception that Mystic Shot can go face... But like iconic cards like that, are those what they're going to target to take out because they are so useful and so mm -hmm. iconic to that region's identity that nothing they put out will really ever top it? Is that the route they're going to go? 
I'm interested to know. And you can even start to guess maybe with the idea that they're putting out these new cards and these expansions, like with Darken, this whole Darken part two expansion that we're getting reveals for every day currently. I think today is the second day worth of reveals. And we'll be getting to those some of those cards and highlighting them. I think I noticed a card in there that might be the possible replacement for a, something like a Mystic Shot because they said, somebody in our Discord very astutely said out, isn't that just a worse Mystic Shot? And I was like, well, what if Mystic Shot's not there anymore? It's not necessarily exactly. a worse Mystic Shot. It is the replacement for Mystic Shot that just requires a bit of a different thing. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting too because as we do get card reveals, we can kind of look and say, oh, I wonder I wonder if this card's going to be gone. I mean, this is basically that card. It's a little bit different. Maybe it's a little worse. Oh, that's a little bit of a power creep on an established card that already exists. I wonder why that's here. And we might begin seeing like, okay, well, now we can kind of predict, well, they're going to be rotating these cards out. And it'll be interesting, too, to see how often they're going to do rotations. Are they planning on doing a rotation every time they release a new set of cards now? Because that's a that's frequent. Like, they put out cards a lot throughout the course of a year, um, more than a lot of games do. And so the question for me is, like, are you then going to... I mean, how often are we actually going to see these rotations? Because we could see, a, you know, four or five of them throughout the course of a year where a lot of times in a card game you see a singular rotation or right. a year or maybe two rotations a year. But I don't know any card game that might do six rotations a year. Um, but and that's with gonna... hitting a larger, a larger pool of cards all at one time. So we really have to see what they're going to rotate or how much they're going to rotate at one time to understand how big of an effect is each rotation going to have? Or is it really going to kind of be sporadic where rotation is almost a methodology of balancing for them at this point? Like it's a, oh, okay, this is really strong, so let me rotate out this other champion that will I will bring down the power level of its accompanying champion and whatever deck is broken right now, and therefore I don't have to touch that one champion. Like I wonder whether that's going to be their their methodology is... Rotation is going to be a pseudo method of, of of nerfing something or bringing the power level up of something that's holding a deck in check. And I don't know. They may have been clear about this, but is there a time when they bring something back as well? Like, is there a time? Like, let's say we do rotate out Irelia right now, right? Is there a time that we rotate, you know, nor let's say we usually rotate three champions out because we're introducing three champions in a new set. Is there a time that we rotate four champions out and we take a champion that's in sort of the legacy bracket and bring it back into standard because yeah. we're not we're not really saying these cards are outdated we're not saying that we're power creeping on them necessarily we're just keeping the format the standard format limited in card size so that um you know we can't so so that we don't have as many design issues and uh sort of balancing flaws that we have the chance of having so I, I think that's a really interesting conversation to have and to look at as well over time is like, will we rotate cards back in or once they're in the legacy bucket, are they forever in the legacy bucket? Because I think there's a lot yeah. of games that just do that. I don't know that LOR has to, you know, could you take the Irelia package and bring it back? Could you take the TF package and bring it back later? I don't see why you couldn't. I hope that they will because I think that that could be a, a unique form of rotation for this game that, that a lot of other card games don't have yeah i will say though though if if they do 
decide to keep everything eternally, not literally eternally, uh, rotated. Once it's rotated, it stays rotated forever. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because we've been talking about how quickly they've been putting out cards. Yeah. And two, how easy it is to obtain cards because this is a very accessible and free to play game. So it's not like if you rotate so many things and then bring them back or don't bring them back that you are hurting anybody. Most likely you're hurting majority of the, of the player base financially. Like it, how Mm -hmm. like you did in a detriment to Hearthstone, like where you would have spent probably a good 20 bucks. If you really wanted to have majority of the cards in an expansion in a timely manner, in a decently timely manner in order to have it by the next time that a, the next expansion was being previewed and rolling around. Now, I think we know with pretty decent amount of certainty that LOR as a game is not necessarily doing well player base wise. I don't know how they're doing financially. I don't know what they're doing, but player base wise and viewership wise, content wise, the game isn't doing well. And so my question is if our player base is falling, you know, it is falling. If we have things like the big PVE path of champions, and now we have two different ladders. If I do go and grab the champion that I love, that's been moved to the wild or the legacy format will, when it's moved to that wilder legacy format, am I going to get a long queue times? Will there be enough people playing in that bracket? Will it lack a competitive edge because of the fact that, you know, we just haven't worried about balancing around this eternal format and we just don't have many people who are playing in it. So it doesn't get a lot of our time and attention. Um, all of that's yet to be seen. Uh, my question really is, does LOR have a player base that actually that can can support two formats? Um, and we'll, we'll have to see. Only time will tell. Um, are you ready to talk about cards? we got about yes. 30 minutes left to chat about some of these new cards. Uh, do you want to run us through and talk us talk to us about the, the new champion? We've seen one so far, one of the three for this new set. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I'll run us through the, uh, the, the first revealed champion. Some thought it was going to be a different champion, Aatrox, but um, others are also not surprised that it's, it's this guy. His name is Varus. Now, Varus is going to be another Runeterra champion, so he's not tied to specifically to a region, but you can select Varus in his own, and he's got his own deck-building requirement. Uh, so he's a 4-cost four four, four, uh, th- four 3-4 with quick attack. Um, it has an origin called the Arrow of Retribution. Now, you may put any cultists cards into your deck during deck building, and once you have played plus three cultist spells, you can draw a Varus into your into your deck automatically. Uh, he auto-equips something called the Darken Bow, which is a piece of equipment that costs two, as most of the equipment does, that uh, get equipped automatically. Now, when you play a spell or equip an ally, give me plus one, plus zero... Uh, to a max of five until the next time uh, my bearer strikes. So every time you play a spell or equip an ally with another piece of equipment, um, whoever has the Darkened Bow equipped gets plus one attack um, until the next time that they actually strike something. I heard a really good piece of commentary. What this does um, eliminate is the issue that we had a little bit ago with Hate Spike, where... Uh, Hate Spike was a really strong card, and uh, the strength was building up uh, across certain cards. And every time you'd want to like strike with, let's say, uh, um, a, a built-up cane or with with Rost, if he's if he's already flipped, they would just chump block you, play Hate Spike, and then the attack wouldn't go through. 
Like, mm-hmm. so you can't necessarily do that with Varus because if he doesn't strike, he keeps the buff from all of the, the cultist spells or all of the spells or equipment that have been played that have buffed the actual character. Cause you're most likely going to have the dark and bow on Varus. So it keeps that buff until it actually physically gets a chance to strike, which is really, really cool. Now his leveled version, he does get the standard plus one plus one. So it'll be a four cost four five. Uh, in addition to the quick attack, he had a level one, he gains overwhelm, which is awesome because his dark and bow, instead of activating only um, getting plus one, plus zero every time with a maximum of five, it doubles. You get plus two, plus zero for every time you activate a spell or equipment, and you can go up to a, a maximum of plus 10. So basically doubles the effect of the dark and bow. It starts to scale a lot harder. And he gets and, overwhelmed, which is And he gets huge, overwhelmed, right? which yeah. the, the dark and bow level up wouldn't really mean that much if he didn't already have, if he didn't have overwhelm for that, or you had to find a way to attach overwhelm on him. So it's great that he gets that upon level up. I think that was a smart choice. Uh, what do you think about Varus knowing that, oh, and I'll go over his champion spell real quick. Three cost burst spell, Varus's chain of corruption. You can give an ally vulnerable, um, and give uh, a, a character of yours plus one, plus zero for the round, and then you create a fleeting copy of Chain of Corruption in hand so you can do it again if you want to. Uh, and then you put Varus into your deck. Which I'm guessing that Chain of Corruption, if we saw the full card, would be a cultist spell. It doesn't actually have it labeled as a cultist spell on the graphic that I'm looking at, but if I had to guess, it it likely it would make no sense that this wasn't a cultist spell. Uh, it might be. It, it wouldn't work with the arrow. Well, maybe it is. I mean, may, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want it to work with uh, arrow of uh, arrow of retribution. Um, the dark and bow literally says if you just cast a spell, right? Um, or or uh, or equip an ally. So um, I guess it would still work with the bow, although it wouldn't be a cult of spell. So it, it wouldn't draw stuff out. Wouldn't draw your various out. If, if you think the era of retribution um, origin it sounds familiar, that's because it's basically the same exact origin as Kane's. Kane allows you to put any cultist in your deck during deck building, and once you've played three plus cultist followers, not spells, you may draw a Kane. And Kane, of course, is a five mana. So this would mean that potentially you could play a Kane Varus deck, two Rune Terra champions that would be able to pair together, that would be able to smash all of your cultist cards into a singular deck, including all of your cultist spells and cultist followers. We did get several new cultist followers. I'm seeing one, two, five new cultist followers and uh, four, five, five or six new cultist spells um, that are we're going to be seeing <laughs> are going to be releasing with Varus. So they are releasing an enormous chunk of these cultist cards. So here's my thoughts on Varus. I'm not overly impressed with Varus. I don't know how easy it is to target eight plus allies, but it doesn't seem easy to me to target eight plus allies, to be honest. I can't even remember what the requirement is with Pantheon, but I think his is five allies over or or five different rounds that you've targeted allies. So it does put a a definitive clock on it. But a lot of times five, it was previously, I think, four and then they, they, they bumped it to five, I think. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, that that sounds right. Even if it's not, it it's close. The point is, is that it has a predetermined clock, right? Like you cannot do mm-hmm. it faster than, you know, the 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 amount of turns that it's going to take. I'm looking at like, yeah, it's five. You've targeted allies in five different rounds. 
uh, at least his vanilla version when he first came out and just scrolled up through all of our card releases. Um, and so, you know, with whatever it is. But this, it's eight. I mean, three more is a lot. And, and maybe, you know, you can do Pantheon on turn five. But a lot of times, you haven't even been able to target creatures five times with spells um, by turn five. A lot of times, that's round six, round seven. And if you think about it, then if this is eight, yeah, there may be a round that you get two, right? But especially if you're playing Varus Kane, that's probably not the case. Like, I feel like Varus has to see play with gems. Um, like, I think of the, I think he's a three mana, one, one support, grant plus two, plus two, and when he dies, gives you three gems in hand. Um, I can't remember his name, but that little guy, I think, you know, your mountain goat. Uh, I, I really feel like this deck probably needs to see play with gems. What's interesting is there is the potential, once again, like, this does have some sort of, like, Lee Sin-esque vibes, right? It's doing something kind of similar to Lee Sin in the fact that you would be, like, Lee Sin wants to play a bunch of spells, get overwhelm combo. This wants you to play a bunch of spells as well, because that's how he's going to level up. Um, Lee Sin plays a lot of target your allies to protect them. This guy wants to do that. Um, this guy gets overwhelm and gets a huge attack. It's not going to be an OTK, but it might be an optional uh, secondary champion that doesn't do the OTK, but could still easily win the game with a bunch of bonus attack in things that you would get both from the Dark and Bow combined with a lot of the spells and abilities that you do already see in the least index. So maybe there is a Varys Ionia combo deck that this is a fallback from Le for Lee Sin. Most Lee Sin decks are pretty refined, so maybe not. Maybe there is a Pantheon Varus deck. In that case, I think you just want to play, you know, Pantheon and Yumi. Um, maybe there's a couple of other lists. I, I just don't I just don't see the clear Varus Kane deck actually being good. I see it being now, cool, but I just don't me, know how you level up Varus. Let me hit you with some alternate logic as to why this might work. Okay, go ahead. There are several spells that have released that are releasing in this same kind of screenshot and a couple, I think that already exist that say, if you meet this requirement, cast me and then cast me again, sure. that will count for two. So you can okay, on sure. one card, if you've already met the requirement, there's the, there's the, the Freljord one that if you've, if you've equipped an ally this time deal like, like frostbite the strongest enemy and give it vulnerable or something like that. And then do it again. Like that would work. There's the one that I was talking about um, that I think might be the replacement for a mystic shot. Uh, the violent the discord. discord. Yeah. Yeah. Deal one to a unit. If you've played an equipment or an ally, this game uh, played an equipment on an ally, this game copying you with the same targets. So basically it's a two cost fast spell. If you've played an equipment, that's going to deal two damage to something. Um, granted it's a unit, not face, which I still think I would be happy if mystic shot went away. And that was our new default. Anyway, that would count as a fourth of the requirement that Varus needs. Um, also, that is a cultist spell. So that is two-thirds of the requirement to drawing a Varus as well, which is interesting. Yeah, that's true. I mean, some of these, I haven't gone through these spells. I mean, I read through a couple of them, and I was sort of, like, underwhelmed, right? <laughs> because there is basically just better versions of all of these, right? Like the Unforgiving Cold, Frostbite, the Strongest Enemy. If you've equipped an ally this game, copy me at four mana burst. Well, I could three mana burst target whatever I want with frostbite. So I, it's not, you know, push to only the strongest thing. 
But you know what? If if you were playing Cult of Spells and you wanted to stall out the game, maybe this is better with Varus. Like maybe some of these cards do come into play because they're doubling your Cult of Spells, because they are, you know, even that, like a lot of these really don't target allies. Like, um, I, I mean, there's one grow an ally to a 5-5. Five, five. That actually might be kind of dope. Like four mana burst, grow an ally to a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah, um, I think I think that's a cool one. Yeah, and if you've equipped someone cost two less, like a two mana grown ally to a five five is actually pretty freaking strong. Um, and so maybe there is a space for some of these cards in the Varus deck, but I still just have a tendency to think that Varus Kane will be underwhelming, and Varus might find a place somewhere else. I, I I'm open to being wrong. I've been wrong about many cards. I just look at Varus and I say I think your level up might be. A little costy. I don't yeah. know that your I could, payoff I could see it going down enough. to seven. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I could see it going down to seven. And I'm also, you know, when you, it, it's just so hard. It's so hard to look at a champion that doesn't have spell shield and doesn't cost two mana and be and, and judge it because, I mean, so frequently. I mean, this caught this deck. The the Kane Varus would have no ability to get spell shield, and. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do against six mana vengeance, right? With with the Varus, what are you going to do against a frostbite? What are you going to do against like there's so many things that could just stop you from getting your 14 damage through or whatever. Um, he also now. doesn't get challenger at any point, so you can't pick your target with your quick attack and overwhelm. That is true. Now, I'm going to expand upon since we're kind of like deck theory crafting here, and you had mentioned. Kane and Varus together. I'm going to take this a different direction, kind of one that you've already mentioned. I know it's a bit on the nose uh, for something that I think could solve exactly your issue, and it revolves an- around another card in this little set here that I think is absolutely busted. And I and I I, I hesitate to even tell it said to call any card busted unless I'm relatively sure that it's going to be that good. There's a card in here called the Expanses Protection. Um, Four cost burst spell for Targon that says, once you've equipped an ally this game, I cost two less. It would be a two cost burst spell. Give an ally spell shield this round. It's a cultist spell. It's a two cost burst speed spell shield. And that synergizes really well with you wanting to play with Pantheon, who has a very synergistic requirement to Varus. Mm-hmm. I think that Varus, you anticipate probably dropping after Pantheon. So the physical, I'm going to, I, I don't like putting champions on the same cost structure of a deck. I still believe that, but I don't think it's as big of a deal with Varus and Pantheon because they're going to hit the requirements most times. I would imagine at different points because it's five turns for Pantheon, eight spells for Varus. You, you Probably won't accomplish that at the same time, depending on what you've got in the deck, but so you'll drop them on different turns. But that is a card that solves that issue very quickly. I mean, two speed, two costs burst speed spell shield, essentially null and voids vengeance. It null and voids a lot of high target spells like a, like a um, concerted strike or a single combat. The only thing it really doesn't combat unless you play it preemptively, is something like a mini morph, which really hasn't been that great in the meta for quite some time, or a frostbite, like you mentioned, that is is also at burst speed. 
So depending on the prevalence of Freligord coming out of this, we may see people preemptively still playing that card, but equipment got, there's a bunch of more equipment in here. As we mentioned on previous episodes, equipment has become a very big mainstay, almost like, like landmarks did, but I would argue even more so now than landmarks did when they broke into the, the card type. I just don't think it's going to be hard for you to meet the requirement of, hey, play an equipment on anybody. It's something. That, yeah, that's actually true. That's actually a really easy thing to pull off. And it's, it is a really powerful card. It's actually, what's interesting to me is like, I actually kind of want to play it with, um, I kind of want to play it with like Jax or with Orn. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, I mean, it's so strong potentially with those. Sometimes Jack's problem is he just it's targeted too easily. Didn't have any real, now it's interesting because this isn't, you know, obviously a weapon master. This is a cultist, but, uh, you know, if you could find a way to put Orn, I mean, this card is just so strong. It, it is, it is really, it's really, really, it's good. nutty. I, I think that this could be a really good, I could, if you wanted to, I don't even think you go cultist and, and, and weapon masters, but I think you can go weapon masters in something else within, um, within Targon, within Targon and be totally fine because that gives you a little bit of a wider range of card pool. I really, really on, I tried to build a, a, uh, cane and Jack's deck and I'm not saying it can't be done or it's not a good, you can't build a good version of it, but the card pool was so narrow between only being able to use weapon master cards and only being able to use cultist cards that it just felt like it was a little too, it wasn't as synergistic as I was hoping it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't have that many options. So you were almost, the deck was almost building itself for you and it really just wasn't that powerful. Maybe with some of these injected extra cultists, you have a little bit of a bigger pool to pull from with, with, uh, with Kane now, but I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, like who you who you could who who emerges as the overall favorite champion from from Targon because I believe this card alone will uh, bring a resurgence to to Targon itself, just eliminating anything that really wants to to target your deck. It might be it might be the resurgence of greedier decks that are maybe playing Celestials because. They can't stop you from you. You can easily stop someone from trying to target and kill your Zoe, for example. And you could even run this in Targon, just period, and run it with the Wandering Shepherd, which is the improvised yep. target card, three mana, two two. Uh, pick an ally. It improvises. If you don't, I improvise. Like you could just play this card with this in Targon and not worry about cultists and not worry about weapon masters and just be like, no, nah, I'm just going to run this card because it's good. Uh, the improvise is good. It's not a, yeah. Yeah. And it, it gives me a tick towards Pantheon. And now I have a two mana burst speed spell shield for Pantheon. Um, and just like, I'm going to run Pantheon Zoe and I'm going to put this improvised card in and then I'm going to put this in. And there's actually, you know, the, the, the equipping of equipment works well with faded. And so, um, one of the better darkened weapons in my opinion, um, is, uh, is the darkened lodestone, which is yep. the target. You love one. that card. Um, and so, you know, you do have seal and steel as well in Targon. I, I don't know that you would use that so much, but I do think the darkened lodestone itself is pretty decent and works synergizes very, very well early on with, uh, you know, even your turn one, uh, faded hero, I think is what his name is, whatever his name is, the one mana one, two that, uh, that has faded, um, yeah. from I mean, Targon. I know you're talking about, yeah, it, you know, it works well with your wounded white flame. And so perhaps this is a card that, you know, the, the saga the, seeker, the saga seeker. Yeah. The expanse is protection. Maybe this is a card that actually sees some play 
completely outside of the cultist combo because it is that good. You know, it you don't maybe you don't need to play it with weapon masters and cultists. Maybe you can just play this with some equipment in uh you know a go you know go tall uh rather than go wide sort of target build and this protects your go tall guy. Yeah um, play some play some greedier units that really need some protection and then when they try to remove it you can give yourself spell shield. Um I also just love the idea I know this is a, this isn't anything groundbreaking but I also just love the idea that if you of playing maybe trying to find a Targon and Sharima deck and play Sivir because one of the biggest ways to beat a Sivir deck is remove the spell shield from her with a cheap spell and then kill her with her only three defense on something else. But if you have this in pocket and they try to kill her again, you can re-up the spell shield. They essentially have to play two two spells back to back and have them both in hand in order to kill her and have the mana because that way you wouldn't be able to interrupt in the middle of the two spells with this card. But... I also just love the idea of being able to at burst speed re up Sever spell shield for the turn, swing with a big board, then give everything spell shield because she gives all of her her allies her keywords. It is essentially let's let's re up what makes Sever stupid strong and then swing swing wide on an open swing. I think that is is something that I'll be experimenting with just to see if there's enough powerful units to be able to push through. Some of the some of the um, the lack of power that maybe Targon struggles with at times, um, but are there any other cards? As I know, we're going to be wrapping up soon. Are there any other cards here from this list that was uh, revealed with Varus that you would like to highlight? I have one in mind uh, after you go. Uh, I, I don't really, I, I mean, honestly, no, the Varus card is the one that I was kind of most wanting to talk about. Uh, I haven't even had a chance to really read through the new cards. I did read Dark and Harpoon. I think Dark and Harpoon's kind of cool. That one came out today. Mm -hmm. Uh, plus one, plus zero and fearsome attack, uh, draw one at the next round start and give it fleeting pretty freaking dope. Honestly, equipment at two mana. I think it's pretty incredible. And then if you spend nine mana, you can get uh, a nine mana, Zero zero that has plus one plus one for each card you've drawn this game, and he can only be blocked by creatures with four or more power. This guy doesn't have overwhelm, but if you find a way through, I don't know, equipment or spell to give him overwhelm, he could be potentially a game ender. And it's also an early game accelerant. So I think the Dark and Harpoon is a card that I'm kind of excited for. I think that one's excellent. I think it's it's very well done. I think it's very powerful. So. If I had to highlight one, maybe that would be it. But uh, what was the card that you wanted to highlight there? Give and actually, speaking of it, I'm going to highlight two. Warden of the Tribes is super cool. Uh, for all your nine, nine cost overwhelm units, says when I'm summoned, grant allies plus one plus one for each different subtype you've summoned this game. That's going to mm. be a really cool, maybe kind of fun or meme deck, or maybe it will be good. I don't know. Um, just trying to try uh, throw in a bunch of different subtypes just the way that the Warden of the Tribes effect when it comes down at nine is game ending or has such a big board effect that it's it's kind of overwhelming but i think there's some cheaper cost cards already in 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 Frillier that do something similar to that that um will fill that void but not necessarily at nine cost and be a bit more reliable but the card that i want to highlight real quick is the buru cultist it is a one cost uh two two uh bilgewater card that is a cultist um it says when equipped uh, when equipped, allies attack, deal one to the enemy nexus, and it's a skill. So I don't know if it procs several times. Like if you have two other equipped allies that is not the Baru Cultist attack, will she do two damage to the enemy nexus or just for the one time? 
like per attack. That I don't know. Uh, but a 2-2 stat line is already pretty solid. And what I think is interesting, and I heard some commentary, for, I think, from Snooey about this, um, which he's a, he's a really predominant um, caster and, and, and um, puts out a lot of content for LOR, content creator. The piercing bolt that does the damage from the Buru Cultist is a skill. Now, the thought is, is that based on kind of what's already in the game in Legends of Runeterra, or no, sorry, not Legends of Runeterra, League of Legends, that people were sad that they didn't see Aatrox, right? But apparently Aatrox is very skill-oriented mm-hmm. in League of Legends. And you pointed this out a little earlier in this episode. There's some thought that um, Kane was, you draw me if you've played three cultist units. Mm-hmm. Um, Varus is if you've played three cultist spells. And they think that Aatrox might be if you've played three skills. Interesting. Then you draw him because he is a it's there's this kind of this trifecta, I guess, between the three of them with the whole cultist and darkened thing that um, he's a little bit more skill based and and Varus is a little bit more spell based and kind of from range and things like that. So as it aligns with League of Legends, there's some thought that we may see Aatrox, whether it's as a part of this expansion or maybe even darkened part three, which they've already previewed is going to happen. Like dark in yeah, the I finale, three. Yeah, like dark in the finale, in and it'll be Aatrox as the center of that, and he'll have something similar to this, but it'll be skill based. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I think they're definitely going to do something that's similar to this. I'm interested to see how that will work because you know if it's if it's skills. I mean, I don't know. Like, how is that any different, really? Than I mean, skills only come off of cultist, you know, allies anyway. And so, how would it be any different than how you already draw your cane? Um, unless it costs more and you have some skills that get activated potentially multiple times and then, okay, then yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I would be interested to see if it had something to do with the darkened weapons themselves. Um, and you know, you play X amount of darkened dark equipment, maybe. Yeah. Darkened equipment. You play X amount throughout the course of the game and, um, and then you can summon the Aatrox. I don't know enough about Aatrox. He's apt for my time of playing LOL. So I don't really know enough about him, but I am interested to see, because I think you're right. I think that we're going to see some connection, some combo of some type with it. Yeah. Um, and I do think we're going to see Aatrox. I just think that we're going to see him in the third piece of this set, most likely. Yeah, that seems to be the, uh, the be in line with, with the pattern so far, but we're getting the, we're going to actually going to have these cards in game next week pretty soon uh we will have all of the the most recent uh, expansion of of dark part two uh coming out and in-game live for us to play test so the next time you hear us podcasting we'll probably be reviewing some of our predictions probably an expanded set of cards that get revealed after this episode drops today and telling you our favorite things that we are playing in the game right now and um maybe where, where we were right and where we were wrong about certain about about varus maybe some of the accompanying cards and of the overall cultist expansion of sets here that we're getting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you being here and being part of the community. Once again, join the discord, find us on Patreon as well. If you want to consider supporting the show and the other shows that we do over at camp legend, that's going to wrap up this episode. We hope that you enjoy it. Let us know once again, like Gibby said about your thoughts about the new cards. We're excited to see what's going to be coming out in the not too distant future. Thanks for tuning into this episode and be sure to come back for the next one. 
Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.